big boobs, little boobs, curvy, petite, introvert, extrovert, loud, quiet. You, my friend, perfect, exactly the way you are right now. I'm Steph, your host, the big boobed introvert CEO of Confetti Curves, and I'm going to remind you that confidence comes from loving all that you are right now. Shall we get started? Hello, Jane, and welcome to Confident in Your Curves. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm excited to join you. Ah, we're so happy to have you. We being me, but... <laughs> <laughs> where are we? Yeah, where we. are we? Where are we? Exactly. <laughs> I would love it if you could share with our audience a little bit about yourself and all the amazing things that you are doing. Sure. There's quite a lot, so I'll like condense it in. <laughs> um, I'm Jane and I'm currently the owner of Brighter Day, which is a clothing label um, for people that need adaptive clothing. Um, I currently live in Brisbane, and but I spent about 15 years of my life previous to this in Melbourne. And while I was in Melbourne, um, I was diagnosed with stage four melanoma, and that was just over five years ago now. So I've been through a whole gamut of different treatments, including surgery, radiation, immunotherapy, all the kinds of things. Um, and I'm still currently on treatment now. So at the moment, it looks like it'll be an ongoing thing for me for the rest of my life. But I'm in a pretty good place now, currently cancer free, which is great. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite a ride and it seems like 15 years, but it's really only been five. Um, previous to that, I was actually a hairdresser and had my own business for a while. And then I decided I wanted to stop doing that and then was training to be a nurse and a midwife. Um, and that's actually when I got the diagnosis. So, um, unfortunately it kind of interrupted those studies and, and sort of made it un really unrealistic to continue to do that. So I've now moved into something which I didn't really think I would do, but I really saw a need, um, for the, for something for people, um, who are having treatment and clothing seems like such a silly, you know, small thing but I found that actually it can make a really big difference in your day um, if it's not annoying. So if it's nice and comfortable, if it does what it practically needs to do, it can actually make your day a lot easier. So that's kind of the um, angle where I'm coming from when I design clothes. That is so incredible. I love like the inspiration of like turning such adversity into such a, like a bigger cause and something to yeah. like, I don't know, just, make the world a better place and have brighter days <laughs> yeah exactly and that's exactly where the name came from because i was finding when i would go to the hospital for treatment like the hospitals are either really gray and old and boring or the new hospitals they're just bright white and that's fine but there's no color and um you know if you have to wear hospital clothes they're really crappy and they make you feel crappier and so i was um I started adding color to my wardrobe. I'd wear a really bright dress or a really nice jacket or even just a headband, a colorful headband. And I would get lots of compliments from nurses and that brightened my day. And so I thought, well, that's a really great way to sort of have a little pick me up for me. But then I was actually noticing the other effect was that it would brighten their day as well. So the more um, different and colorful things that I would wear, the nurses would be like, oh, look, this is so fun, you know? And, and it just made me feel, it's weird. It was like this mutually beneficial brightening of the day. So I just 
felt like that had to be carried through in the name of what I'm doing now. I love that. That makes my heart so happy. Like the impact that like color can have, like it's, it's a like, as you can kind of like color is such an important part of my life. And it honestly does. It, it brightens your day and it really, yeah, it warms the heart. It's incredible what you're doing. I think it's really something we can forget. And especially I think, you know, in certain jobs where you have uniforms, you, you know, uniforms are there for a reason. They make you there to make you fall in line. And so I think when you can start to break out of that, um, it becomes, you can experiment with your colors or things that you feel comfortable with. It's taken me a while to be happy with wearing bright, bold colors. And I'm not today, clearly I'm wearing white. I mean, how ridiculous. <laughs> but, but it's got um, red saying, so that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> but that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I really just, I think, encourage people to, try color even if they're not used to it because it will have an impact on that day you know if you wear that to treatment or if you're in hospital you know for a surgery or whatever you I guarantee you people will compliment it so that's why I chose it Mm, that's incredible so Jane let's lead into what are you loving most about yourself right now right now um I love that I've had the confidence to take this business and really run with it it's been a lot a lot of energy and a lot of time um thinking about it and also deciding on whether i want to do it or not um i'm someone who can sew and so i was able to actually sew my own clothes for me in the beginning so i solved my own problem and that was fine but you know i would have a couple of compliments from nurses or things you know people saying gosh i've, I've never seen anything like this and the more that happened, the more I kept looking for it. And I can't find it anywhere in Australia. And so I just kept thinking more and more and, and really got to a point where I was well enough and had enough energy to do it um, and felt that I couldn't not do it anymore. So now I've got the confidence. Now I'm really ready to go with it. And I really want to take it big because it there's so many people who can benefit from having adaptive clothing and it's really an untapped market until now and um, I, I'm really excited to be at the beginning there's you know a couple of other brands that are also doing it in a slightly different way so it's great to be able to see you know it I actually just got goosebumps and it's like the there's like this little groundswell you know of people going oh yeah of course yes. we should have clothes that work in different ways you know yeah. So um, that's where I'm at. I think I'm really starting to really sit with it and be happy with that. I love that. That is so incredible. And like, I can see the glow in you when you talk about it. Like it (laughs) just like shines so like brightly through you. So I think that's just incredible. And just the way that, you know, you like, it sounds like just such a little thing, but it's making Mm. that huge impact and like that groundswell and that, like the community of like, you know, you've all got that little bit of difference, but it's all for that greater good of like everyone around you. I love that so much. Yeah. It's really, once you, once you really start to look into it, um, there's, it's not just um, people who are on cancer that cancer treatment that need certain adaptable clothes. There's people who have a variety of other illnesses that have long-term treatment. And, you know, I think what I've seen is that everybody just starts to make do. They alter their own clothing or they wear things that are shorter or smaller so that they can access different parts of their body more easily. 
but they've just probably either given up or never even realised that a, an item of clothing can be that useful to them and also mean it's made for them, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just something that you've been lacking for so long and when someone comes along and says, hey, I made this for you, you know, that feels pretty cool, you know. <laughs> All of a sudden you're not the one-fifth of the population <laughs> tossed aside. You're mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this is 100%, I made this for you. I love that. Mm-hmm. And just the ability to make people feel seen and, like, totally. understood. In- yeah. And that is such a huge thing, to be heard and to be seen um, when you're struggling with something very long-term, especially lots of chronic conditions. It's just so draining and so exhausting to keep getting up and, you know, getting through the day. But um, something, like, yep, yeah, like I said, it's small, but actually, I think to the to the right people, it's actually going to be quite a big change. Oh, it's going to be so powerful. Yeah. How did you find the diagnosis impacted like your like body image and self-worth and things like that when you kind of got that diagnosis? Yeah, it was really interesting. I didn't know I was sick. And so quick backstory is that I have melanoma and I actually was diagnosed with melanoma in 2006. So it has been 17 years, wow. yeah, 16, 17 years, a long time. Mm-hmm. And at the time I had, I think, three surgeries over about six months and then they kind of just said, that's it, you know, we'll just keep monitoring you and that's all. And so, you know, 11 years went by until I was actually diagnosed as stage four. So that's pretty unusual. Most people mm. who um, get to the five-year mark kind of that's it you, you're great you know they don't use the word cured but they it, they sort of say you know you're pretty good now and so to be 11 years was um yeah hit me like a truck <laughs> <laughs> um and so what happened was I was working quite a physical job so I'd actually lost a bit of weight but I was very strong and I was very healthy and active because I was working this job that required lots of lifting and standing and moving and so I actually strangely felt the best in my body that I ever had and it's really weird to look back and just kind of go gosh I thought it was all I mean it probably was part like you know I was working hard and I was you know happy and feeling good and it just came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and so um, what I had noticed to trigger it was that I had a lymph node that was under my arm that became really hard and that's that's the flat out key you know to to finding out that that's what it is. Um, and I had lots of lymph nodes removed in 2006. So that's what they'd already said to me, just that's what you need to keep an eye out for and check. So from there, it kind of spiraled very quickly. You know, you get admitted back in, you have another surgery and all this sort of thing. And I think the main thing that I uh, learned quite quickly is that all of a sudden your body is no longer your own. Mm-hmm and your body belongs to medicine so that's a really difficult thing to grasp i think Mm. and especially when it happens quickly um and you have to kind of get used to taking your clothes off you have to get used to being touched and poked and prodded and stabbed and hurt and um that's from external things as well. And then you've also got internal things going on. So maybe you are in pain or maybe you have other side effects. And so my body has been through a lot. Obviously my mental state has been through a lot to Mm -hmm. um, go along with that. But 
Um, I definitely am a, in a place now of um, gratitude and um, kindness to my body because it has really been through so much and still here and still kicking, you know, like really still just hanging in there and trying to make sure that we get through every day the best as possible. Did you find that it changed your perception of who you are or who people interpreted you as? A little bit. I think it's been gradual. Um, I think that the immediate thing that a lot of people want to say when they find out a friend is or anyone is is diagnosed and they see you going through treatment is, oh, you're so strong and you're so brave. And I 100% understand the um, intentions and the well meanings behind it. And I think that one thing I hear going around is that a lot of people say, oh, I could never do what you're doing. But I think that's something that needs a bit of revisiting because it's very, um, it, you, like you would, <laughs> is yeah. basically all I want to say is like, if you were in this position, you a thousand percent would be doing it and could do it. It's just that you don't like to think about that you want to and nobody mm. wants to. So I think that's the difference there. Um, the perspective longer term now, it has been resilience really really intense resilience and that's something that I'm learning about myself and I think that's something that because a lot of people have said that to me very close friends will keep saying gosh I you know I'm seeing you going through all this you know whatever and you're still standing or now you're still doing this or whatever so yeah yeah resilience is something that um, I think every person who goes through cancer treatment ends up with mm -hmm. and just it's just a <laughs> bit of a side effect that's what you get but it's good you know I think mm. humans are very resilient and until you're really tested it's hard to see the full extent of that but um I think that's what I have gained the most and what I enjoy I enjoy now having to even though I don't really go through it it's May it's um, turned me into a person who is able to cope with a lot more than I previously would have. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Mm. Would you have any advice for someone, it, like you say that, you know, the strength and things like that is a really hard mm. thing to say to someone, that if someone in your life is getting that cancer diagnosis, like what is something that is a helpful and supportive kind of, you know, yeah. not the kind of pity things that can sometimes come across? This is a tricky one, um, but there are a lot of um, things that t tend to come up a lot um, from people who have been there. The biggest thing I can say is that if you can hold space for someone and say, I'm here to listen, that's the best thing you could say. Because sometimes, um, sometimes, you know, people may not want to talk and maybe it's too upsetting and that's fine. But a lot of the time there's like 50,000 things going on in your head and it actually helps to get it out. And so I think the best thing you can do is sit there, hold space and also not try and fix anything because mm. a lot of the time what rolls out of your mouth doesn't need a solution. It just needs to come out, you know, um, <laughs> unless they ask. So unless someone says, I need help with this or I'm not sure what to do about that. Sure, you know, then you can brainstorm some things, but I would really steer clear of trying to offer solutions or help or alternative therapies. Um, 
There is no space for Pete Evans anywhere in this world. <laughs> Please don't. Um, oh, gosh. But I think, um, yeah, tr- trust that person that they know that they're doing what's best for them. So, look, if that's, you know, the route that they want to take with their therapies, um, I'm all here for people doing what they want to do. But imposing your beliefs on somebody else, not knowing what they're going through at all, is very unhelpful and is actually very distressing because it mm. makes you second guess yourself and then you, you're, you're in a fear spiral already. And so all of a sudden you think, oh, gosh, oh, no, I should be doing all these other things. And it's really unhelpful. So, yeah, that would be my biggest, biggest thing is definitely to be listening, hold space and don't try and fix it. I love yeah. that. That's really helpful. And simple advice. Like, it's not like it's a big complex kind of thing. It's just hold it's not that space hard. and listen. Yeah. It's not hard, but I think that we're not used to it. So mm. it's a very, we're used to fixing things. And so it's something that you'll probably feel uncomfortable um, if you've never, you know, been in a situation where someone has to talk about things that may be really awkward. Like maybe they'll, you know, they have late stage diagnosis. They won't want to talk about death. Or they may just have logistical challenges like now I've got to quit my job or I've got three kids and how do I get them to school and stuff. So it it could be anything, but listening and holding space is something that is a learned skill and um, good to practice when someone comes to you and has a a very big challenge like this. (laughs) Mm. That's crazy. So with your diagnosis, does that mean that your cancer is now kind of more like an ongoing chronic disease kind of treatment situation? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I think now because of the rate of um, success and remission and the treatment success, um, there's going to be a lot more people living long term. So cancer will or can be now looked at as a long term chronic illness, Um, you know, which is good in a way. Obviously, people are living longer and our treatments Mm -hmm. are successful. Uh, For some people, there will be a difference in whether they're on treatment or off treatment. So they could have lingering side effects from treatment, but not be on it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so they could be cancer free off treatment but still technically have chronic you know either chronic pain or chronic issues um for other cancers like melanoma at stage four there's no cure yet so there will be long-term treatment for a lot of people um some people do get to about the five-year mark on certain things and they've been cancer free for a while so they're them and their doctors make the decision to stop treatment and that's good but the, I think the most challenging thing that I found, especially being um, in the physical body, is that I was made much more sicker by the treatments that I'm on than I have ever been by my actual cancer. Mm. So that's a very difficult thing to get your head around mm-hmm. because, you know, in one way you're thinking, I need to do everything I can to try and treat this and get rid of it or do what I can. But then also you're actively making yourself sick or in pain or struggling with things. Um, so yes, I've had to adapt to a life now of chronic pain, um, chronic, not chronic fatigue in that diagnosis, but fatigue that is um, called cancer related fatigue. Um, a commonly known thing like chemo brain, chemo fog, brain fog, that's even though I haven't had chemo, I've had similar treatments that do the same thing. So I'll get stuck in the middle of a sentence sometimes and forget a word. That's mm-hmm. really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> so some things have improved and some things can help improve things like gentle exercise tends to help my energy. 
Um, but it's ebb and flow. So I just manage what I can and maybe at some point it will be better, um, but don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, my stepdad had melanoma in his face. We had a cut out and the scars from the surgery were the thing that impacted him the most yep. because like his face was significantly changed and a nerve was severed in his lip. So like he lost yeah. a little bit of control in the lip and the mental struggle that then came with that and trying to acknowledge that there was, yes, there was a difference, but also not bring attention to it. It's mm. a really hard kind of balance where you're like, yes, I, like I want to acknowledge that, you know, this is not how it usually was, but it's not like, to me, it's not, a, it hasn't changed who you are, but yeah, it's, it's, a, hard. it's a complex, yeah. Surgery and scars are difficult. They're difficult, yeah. And I think that a lot of the time it's also what it represents. So it's not only the physical aspect of what it now looks like and like you said sometimes what it also feels like because there are other issues that come with surgery too with pain nerve um, damage all kinds of things um, mm. but it's what it represents or what it represents in terms of loss as well mm. um, grief is something that I think about or have thought about a lot and I, I think maybe we're used to thinking about grief in terms of death but um, I have probably learnt to um, welcome and manage grief in lots of different ways and that often happens with the, the ways our bodies change. Um, it might be the loss of something or it might be um, change in identity for people who lose their hair. I was never somebody who lost, mm. my treatments don't cause hair loss. Oh, that's not true, sorry. My treatments don't cause, cause complete hair loss. But there was one treatment that I was on. I probably lost about a third of my hair, and even that impacted me. So, that would, yeah, the perception of the yeah. way that, like, and like, just like every day, like brushing your hair and just seeing yeah. like things Plump. like that. <sighs> and the thing is that, like, being a hairdresser, having that actual background knowledge and knowing the, like, intellectually knowing the reasons why it's happening, what's happening, and how it will resolve. I all, I knew all of that, but the emotional part of brushing your hair, like literally just going, oh my God. like when does it stop, you know? Mm. And then when it has stopped, all of a sudden my ponytail's different and all of this. So it seems so trivial. It can seem so trivial when people say it's just hair, but it's it's what it represents, and it's also the identity. So if you do lose all of your hair, all of a sudden people have said to me, you know, they're like, I look in the mirror and I don't know that person. And that's heartbreaking, <laughs> mm. you know. Um, on top of all the things that they're going through, they can't look in the mirror and feel within themselves. So it, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes on um, with especially people like mastectomies, um, having a single or double mastectomy, choosing to get um, implants or not choosing to get implants. Huge. That's a huge one, you know, and it, your whole body is now a totally different body, even though you are still you. Mm. Very strange. And I, that de-identification of like, this is what I, like my perception of what I look like versus what the mirror is showing back to me. It, it, mm. Huge. It must be the hardest thing. <laughs> it's a lot of therapy. Um, I won't lie. 
Uh, we love therapy. Yeah, we love therapy. So I would, I would definitely recommend that to anybody who's really struggling with that because it, it takes a lot and I don't think you can do it on your own. It definitely takes a lot of um, stepping out of yourself to be able to reassess and, and just careful, gently get back to that place of acceptance. Mm, that's incredible. <laughs> um, so tell us a bit more about the adaptive clothing and what mm. kind of things that like you've designed and like the considerations that you've made. Yeah. Um, so I'll start basically ex- explaining how or why I needed it. So you can sort of see through my t-shirt here as I have a device called a chest port and it's surgically implanted under my skin. And what it has is a little pad in there that a needle can be clipped in like that. And then my IV meds can be delivered to me um, through there. And it also, there's a little tube that goes all the way up here and then it goes into the top of my heart. So it's a, it's a type of central line. And there are other people that also have one in their arms. So it would be like a semi-permanent kind of one that would be implanted and remains there. There's a couple of other different variations of central lines as well, but essentially this was one of the main ones that was becoming an issue. And you can see here because of the t-shirt, like I love wearing t-shirts, but if, mm-hmm. if I was to wear this to treatment, I can't access this unless I lift my shirt up and I don't want to mm. do that. And a lot of public hospitals, you aren't in a private room. So you're in a treatment ward with 20 to 40 other people. And yes, there are privacy curtains, but they don't always use them. And sometimes it's just freezing cold. Sometimes you don't want to take your shirt off. Fair Mm -hmm. enough. So, yeah. So I essentially, I've got one here so I can show, make a little demo. (laughs) I have put a zip. It might be a bit hard to see with the color, but... Mm -hmm. I've put yeah. zips here in the front. And so the zips basically work down from here to down. And then you can uh-huh. open the top and then the nurse can just access there and then you can zip it back up. So you can stay really warm. The nurse still has a really good area of sterile field that they don't have to pull your clothing out of the way as well. Um, and that's some of the great feedback I've had from nurses too, is that I think this is the best, you know, I don't have to worry about making you feel uncomfortable to pulling your clothing away and stuff like that. So, um, that's been something that I've just, it just makes my life so much easier. And the day that I get up and go to treatment, I don't have to think, what am I going to wear today? I just grab that and that's it. It's great. Amazing. So I've got a couple of other ones. That one's made from bamboo. I also make mm-hmm. from linen as well. This one's a beautiful pink linen one. they cute. Oh, my God. These are stunning. So lovely. And so this one is so soft and nice. So it works in a little bit of a different way where the tie opens at the front and you can stretch the dress all the way wide open. And so then you can just pop it down over your shoulder and then do it back up again. Amazing. For so, those listening in the audio podcast, yeah. I will pop some pictures on the Confetti Curves Instagram when we come out so you can see all of the incredible things. Yeah, there's so so many ways that, and I'm like excited to continually keep designing as well because there's so many different things that we could go for now. I sort of had to narrow it down for a very first collection. Um, but one of the dresses is also accessible for people who have a pick line, which is in the arm. Um, and then I also have some adaptive culottes. So they're also made of linen. So they're very nice and comfortable. They keep you warm, but they also, you know, they breathe when you're in hospital, but they're size adaptive. So around your tummy, I often find some days I'll be bloated, some days I'm not. And so these pants are um, adaptable at the waistline and they go up one whole full size. 
That's amazing. So, yeah, so I just sort of try to think about, think outside the box a little bit, think about the type of things that make people uncomfortable while they're either having treatment or even just in their daily lives um, and how it, that can be fixed or how it can be helped just even a little bit, just to make a little bit more comfort in the day. That's amazing. I love that. Um, so you've, this is all launched is and yeah. available to people now through brighterdays.com.au, I'm assuming? That's correct, yes. We launched in May with the first collection. So we've got uh, five different items in two different colorways. So there's 10 different options at the moment. Also, there's a couple of t-shirts and we've got a tote bag as well. So things that you can sort of wear or have with you when you go to treatment or on your days off, like I'm wearing a t-shirt now. So um, just kind of trying to build like a little bit of a, a buzz and a bit of community and support network for the people who around the sort of you know, 20s to 40-year-olds in that age group, I do think that there's a little bit where we do get forgotten a bit. So I wanted to sort of also bring this, like, upbeat, fun, but not cheesy community to people, mm-hmm. um, yeah, who just want to sort of have someone by their side. I love that. Yeah. I'm so impressed by all <laughs> of the incredible things that you're doing. It's so, like, it just, I don't know, the words can't explain how, like, impressed and like in awe of like turning such adversity into such an amazing solution for so many people and like not only helping the patients but the nurses as well so they like you know as you mentioned yeah yeah I've had amazing feedback from nurses and so that's something I'm going to focus on now is sort of reach outreach to nurses and explain how it works and why and you know the benefits to them as well um and sort of that might be a, a great talking point you know for them mm. to sort of mention to their um, patients too. Definitely. It really is that whole like li- like the look good, feel good really does impact you. Yeah. Like yeah. it really does. And and I think that if we just say it's face value or surface stuff, I think you're really missing the, the really deep underlying um, ties that we have to how we look and how we feel. And it, it's, it's probably different if you're talking to, about someone at, who's like right in the thick of it and they can't literally do anything else except get up and, and survive that day. Mm. But when we're talking about longer term chronic conditions, we've still got to live a life that is enjoyable and that we can enjoy getting up and, and living the day, you know. So that's where I wanted to tap into that little area where we're still living, but we still have to do these annoying things. So we can have a little bit of enjoyment in both. I love that. That's amazing. Thank you. Oh, all the woman fuzzies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, was there anything else that really was like an unexpected or kind of like a journey that you kind of felt that was unexpected when you were kind of like going or you are still going through it? So like one of those kind of things that just hits you and impacts your confidence or the way that you see that yourself or yeah. any of those kind of things that was a really wordy question that's Sorry. fine no I totally got it um <laughs> halfway through I was like yes there is yeah. <laughs> <Perfect>. um <laughs> I um it's a bit heavy but I'm happy to talk about it and just maybe a little trigger warning for some people um about domestic um uh, how do we say it Probably it's not uh, domestic violence in a physical sense, um, but in an emotional sense. So when I was diagnosed as stage four, so about five years ago, yeah, I was in a relationship and had actually just moved in with this person. And 
um it you know it was actually up until that point it was actually been a really good relationship it was new so we were still sort of you know happy and fun and great and whatever and mm-hmm. when i was diagnosed again because this was sort of all coming back for me i had lots of feelings that were coming up again whereas this person didn't know me at that stage and so they didn't really have an understanding of what it meant and how scary it was um i started going through treatment i became very very unwell but just the side effects of the treatment were debilitating and pain was really bad and so i was quite sick for a number of months and over that time our relationship obviously got naturally strained as it does um Mm. but i think his inability to um really look within himself and find out the best way to care for himself but also to care for me just really impacted us and me and so what eventually ended up happening was that very very slowly was the manipulation the gaslighting and um just really triggering things that I really started, you know, you start to think, am I going crazy? Why is he saying Mm. these things to me? Mm -hmm. And why did you do that thing when you said you did the opposite and all those sorts of things? And because I was so tired and I was so unwell, I didn't have the energy to fight it. And I remember saying to a close friend or a couple of close friends at the time, you know, this is what happened. Am I crazy? You know, like I don't, understand why this is happening at this point and you know I'm very grateful that they just sort of let they stood by me and they were very close but they just sort of let me you know manage it but it actually Mm. got to a very scary point where just at the middle of in the middle of the night one time he just screamed completely blue murder at me like in the middle of the night and I just left the next day so I was very lucky that I had um, some very good, very close friends that I could, I had somewhere to go, but I was essentially without a home for about six months, um, which is, can you even imagine? Like, no. <laughs> like in the worst, <laughs> in the worst possible time, when you think oh. that you need your people and you need your your support, you know, actual even closest. the power of routine and like what you're used to, everything was out the door. Um, mm. And like, I literally left with a backpack and my phone and I kind of just thought if I never see any of my stuff again, so be it, I have to leave. Um, but you know, we did manage to sort of get through that period and I, I put my things in storage and I'm so forever grateful to my friend who I lived with for six months. Like she took care of me, like she was my mom. Like it literally was, she, she changed my life. She saved my life. Um, And so I eventually got back to my feet and I was able to live on my own again, which I love. I love being independent and living on my own, but I just really wasn't well enough to do it for such a long time. Um, Anyway, um, I've since sort of found out that actually, I think they call it intimate partner violence, is actually Mm -hmm. super common to women after a cancer diagnosis. Yes. That's horrific. I know. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't laugh, but it's it's so crazy that it's like yeah. what, what do you mean? But anyway, so it's it's not something I share often, but it's I I'm, I'm happy to share it because I think it's very important that people um know that it does happen. So, you know, if you suspect it maybe with a friend or something like that, just be aware that it can happen. Um there's probably a variety of reasons why and, you know, for this particular person 
I can guess as to the, what those reasons are, but you know his behaviours were escalating very quickly and it eventuated in the way it did. Thank you so much for sharing that and being so vulnerable. Mm. It's something that you just I I didn't know that stat, and I am fascinated to know that that's something that happens so commonly. And I you know I feel like most of the population probably doesn't understand that either. I didn't understand it either, and I and I fell into the trap of that could never happen to me. I would be smarter than that. I would know that it was happening to me. I'm smarter than that, you know. Mm. But it can literally happen to anyone, anyone. Because if you're yeah. caught in a vulnerable situation, or even not, but it being in a vulnerable situation and if that particular person has, for whatever their reasons are, knows how to do it, it's very insidious and you can't recognise it until you're it's too late almost. Not too late, but it's you're so far in that you kind of look around and think, what happened, you know? Yeah. So. I know from my like I my situation, it just kind of like things just build and build and yep. build and you're like, this is this, is this actually happening? And the gaslighting, it... Uh, it's horrific. <sighs> it's really horrific. And to the point now I see it happening everywhere now because I'm so hypervigilant as to how it happened to me. Um, just even simple sentences, sometimes I hear it and go, don't you dare. <laughs> you know, but unfortunately, oh, it's like the hairs on your back of your oh, neck. Sometimes yeah. you hear something in a mall, you're like, oh, "Yeah, go run, run!" run. <laughs> like massive red flag. Um, yeah, so I'm. I I suppose I want to share that type of experience so that people are aware that it does happen, can happen, could be happening to a friend. Um, and it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that you need to run in and fix it, but that holding space and listening and just being, making sure that they know that you're there because I had many friends. So, you know, I literally, they just said, come to my house now, you know, and that's, that's what saved me that day. So very lucky, very lucky. That's amazing. We underestimate the power of friendship sometimes. Like we do. the you know, just having someone to be like, you can, like, my door is here for you, yep. come yep. at any time. Yep. It's just life-saving, it literally. Is. It literally is. And, you know, I, I didn't have family living in Melbourne at that at that time. My family was elsewhere. And so, obviously, I would have gone to family immediately when that happens, but I didn't have that. So, in Melbourne, I was, I created my family. You know, my friends are that close that they are my family. So, that if, if I had to call it three in the morning, I, I know that that wouldn't be annoying. <laughs> they would go, yep, come. Yep, you know. Yep, doors wide open, yep. come in. Exactly. So very <sighs> grateful. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing. That was just, mm. yeah, very powerful mm. stuff. And I know we don't talk about strength, but it does like, you know, yeah. it's a really, it's, it's like a great strength that you were able to like acknowledge the situation and escape. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was. I very clearly remember it. It is one of those moments that of clarity. Um, mm -hmm. That was it was an immediate, you know, black or white for me. There was no gray area. Um, so I think I, you know, I learned a lot from that as well. And again, resilience comes into that. That a lot of resilience came after that because it was picking myself up. Not only being ill now being single, also being treated like that, also don't have anywhere to live. Also, like, I just was like, can you kick me once more while I'm down, please? please. Are we at rock bottom yet? Yeah. yeah. Is there further to go? Because I don't know how much more I can take. But 
um pick yourself up and keep going yeah mm. and just bloom from it as well like totally. from the ashes you're a phoenix like I love that. Look at you now. Was, uh, isn't that great? I really love that. It creates such a great visual as well. Um, and yeah, I really resonate with that actually. I think that's nice. That's awesome. Mm. Do you now see yourself as like the person looking in the mirror? Is that the person that you see mentally as well? Like you've come through a journey and you're like, you've got that alignment? Yeah, I think it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never properly been a person who's been. 100% happy with my reflection you know I, I yeah. as a woman I think that's probably mm-hmm. very normal um it's very societal to make us feel that way yes it is yep. um so you know there's always things that I feel like oh, I wish you know but I'm definitely trying hard to catch myself at that point and just go it's okay you know mm-hmm. maybe I do wish but I either do something to change it or I you know, learn to sort of get on with it. Um, I think it's pretty close. Yeah. But it has taken a lot of work for sure. Was like the work has been like that on kind of going journey and therapy and Mm -hmm. with every diagnosis and kind of challenge, like a reset kind of thing for that? Yeah. Things change all the time. Um, Some of it is um, surgically, surgical related. Some of it is medication related and some of it is just um, (laughs) mentally (laughs) related, you know. Um, I think the hardest thing that a lot of people with, um, a lot of people who have cancer treatment are also on a cohort of other medications. Um, Most commonly is a type of corticosteroid and that I have been on a corticosteroid now for probably about four maybe over four years long term yeah and I wish I wasn't you know Mm. I've been trying to get off it for a long time I've probably I I did come off it twice but then have had to then go back on so for me it helps to keep inflammation at a manageable level for me Um, I'm still trying to actively get off it because I just wish that I didn't have to but anyway the, the the most common side effect is complete bloating and weight gain and it creates like a really round moon face, puffy cheeks um, and weight in different areas that, you know, for women is really difficult <laughs> and you can't, it's really oh, yeah. difficult to shift as well. So, you know, rather than just say, oh, go and exercise, you know, mm. it's not the same. So mm. that has been one of the most difficult things for me is weight gain through steroid because it's another visual representation that I'm unwell. Mm. And that's tough. That's really hard. And it's that, like, society can see it. It's not just. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it comes back to things like the hair loss or whatever. When someone else can see it, they can make up their mind straight away. Oh, she's got cancer. Oh, she's she's fat or whatever, you know. And it sucks because you can't can't do anything to change people's mind. But Mm -mm. um, it's also hard when you can't do anything to change yourself in that way yeah i'm just so impressed by you oh stop <laughs> stop it so, don't i've stop. loved this chat so much <laughs> oh dear 
Where can everyone find all yeah. of your things and you on the internet and support and be able to share this to people that may be able to utilize your incredible, incredible things? Yes, yes please. So my website is brighterday.com.au and you can find me on Instagram at brighterdayau and also same on TikTok, brighterdayau. I'm still trying to work out TikTok, but I am pretty raw and vulnerable there. So come and see me in all my pajama glory. Um, <laughs> so yeah, anyway. <laughs> but if you have any questions about any of the garments, like just contact me through the website. Um, I'd be really happy to answer questions if people aren't sure, or like if they want to give it as a gift for somebody. Um, that's something I think that would be really beneficial. But I'm very happy to help if you need any assistance there yeah that's amazing i will link everything in the show notes so that there's no excuses for anyone to make any mistakes in the links (laughs) and i hope you all reach out to jane because i have loved this so much and i'm so 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 thankful for you to be here today thank you thank you so much this has been a really lovely chat um before you go guys i just wanted to let you know that i am releasing a kickstarter in september for Confetti Curves, which is the bra and underwear company I'm launching for big boobies and round booties. It's all about fun and colour and having your big boobs supported in a wire-free way and having some matching undies that you actually want to wear every single day. So so make sure that you're like you know as soon as we launch the Kickstarter and you can be one of the first to pre-order. Follow us on Confetti Curves and also join our mailing list at confettivecurves.com.au and you'll get um, added to our email list so that you know all of the things that are going on with Confetti Curves. It's going to be so fucking incredible and you're going to want to be a part of the first launch. So I hope that you want to get involved and I'll see you on socials or on the newsletter. Bye. If you just had as much fun as we did, come follow us on Instagram at Confetti Curves, leave a five-star review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.